Hello, Internet friends. This is Glenn. And this is Linda. It's that time again for preparing our hearts for worship. And once again, it's good to have you with us as we study the Bible truth and worship God through song. With God's unending fountain of love and power and all-knowing attributes, we can rest assured that his trustworthiness is great and we can rest in him. This week, we are studying the Word and worshiping in song with There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Evangel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there have I, though vile as he, washed away all my sins away, and washed all my sins away, washed all my sins away, and there have I, though vile as he, washed all my sins away. Dear Lamb of God, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the resounding church of God be saved to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. Till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Ever since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die, and shall be till I die, and shall be till I die. Redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die. When this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then a nobler, sweeter song I'll sing, thy power to save. I'll sing thy power to save. I'll sing thy power to save. Then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. Glenn, let's hear some forgiven sing this wonderful old song.
Based on Zechariah 13.1 On that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from in sin and impurity. The hymn, there is a, the hymn, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood, is a meditation on the saving power of the blood of Christ. William Cooper was born in England to John and Anne Cooper. His father resided as rector of the Church of St. Peter, and his aunt was a poet. When William was six, six, his mother, Anne, died in childbirth. William and his brother, John, were two of seven children to live past infancy. The death of his mother at such an early age had a deep effect on William, and he struggled with bouts of depression and mental illness referred to at that time as melancholy. Throughout the rest of his life, Cooper was first sent to a boarding school. It was here he first began suffering from frequent emotional difficulties. He was transferred to Westminster, where he was much happier. After his education at Westminster, 
where he took a liking to studying Latin and writing poetry, he moved to the home of his uncle to be trained for a career in law to become an attorney. During this time, he fell in love with his cousin Theodora, whom he wished to marry. Her father denied the union, plunging Cooper into a deep depression. After graduating from Westminster, he was apprenticed to an attorney. In 1754, Cooper was invited to the bar, but he never actually practiced law. He was chosen in 1763 to the clerkship of journals of the House of Lords, but the dread of appearing before them for the examination caused him to suffer such a mental breakdown that he attempted to end his life three times and nearly succeeded. He was sent to set Albums Asylum and came to be under the care of Dr. Cotton, a Christian therapist. During his 18-month stay, he began to read the Bible, which brought peace to his mind and spirit, and he eventually recovered. After his release, he settled at Huntingdon with a retired clergyman named Morley Unwin and his wife Mary, who took him in as a boarder. But just as Cooper's profession seemed secure, disaster hit. When he was interviewed for the clerkship, he experienced a panic attack. As a consequence, he was not granted the, posi the position of failure that influenced a time of intense depression. Just two years later, in 1767, Reverend Unwin was killed in a horse-riding accident. At the urging of their mutual friend, Richard Connors, Reverend John Newton paid a visit to the distressed family. At the time, Newton was curate of the market town of Olney, about 36 miles to the west. He invited them to move under his care. Cooper and the Unwins were, were able to secure a home adjacent to Newton, separated only by an orchard. In the wake of Reverend Unwin's death and the death of Cooper's brother John on 20th of March, 1770, Newton's pastoral influence was vital in encouraging Cooper to apply his talents toward writing hymns. He wrote most of his best hymns in this period, before relapsing into a deep depression in 1773. Newton invited Cooper to contribute to a hymn book he was compiling called Only Hymns. Being much inspired, Cooper ended up contributing 68 texts including There is a Fountain Filled with Blood and God Moves in a Mysterious Way, the latter being written as an outpouring of gratitude to God after his attempted suicide. Cooper thrived under Newton's guidance, and his time and only were some of the happiest, most lucid periods of his life. In 1773, two years into the Only Hymns project, Cooper's brother died, and the poet relapsed into his deepest state of depression. He became convinced that God wanted him to commit suicide. He tried three times to kill himself, but each time something prevented him from carrying through. Cooper believed God had stopped him. Cooper said the next years came with a full realization of God's favor and were the happiest, most lucid years of his life. It was during this time he wrote his most famous secular poem, The Task, which received much acclaim. He was so overwhelmed by God's overruling providence for him to live that he was led to write his famous hymn 
on God's providence. God moves in a mysterious way. An unsuccessful major alteration in 1819 sought to make the hymn less graphic by changing the first line to, from Calvary's cross to a fountain flows. A second alteration was to stanza two, which Cooper originally wrote as the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there have I, as vile as he, washed away my sins away. The last two lines were altered too, and there were many sinners, vile as he, washed all their guilt away. Later they were altered again, and there would I, though vile as he, wash away all my sins away, and finally to what is commonly used in hymns today. And there may I, though vile as he, wash away my sins away. The original scripture text does not mention blood, but does, but does it directly equate the fountain with a person, the Messiah? So Cooper had injected a New Testament idea into this Old Testament text. The concept of cleansing blood is found in Revelations 1.5 where it said Christ has washed us away from our sins in his own blood. And Revelation 7.14, which says those who have come through the great tribulation have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Stanza 2 mentions the crucified thief of Luke 23, 32-43, also Matthew 27.38 and Mark 15.27. Stanza 3 refers to Christ as the Lamb, a name introduced by John the Baptist in John 1, 29-36. Stanza 4 describes a redeeming blood, such as in 1 Peter 1, 18-19. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Relating to stanza 5, the book of Isaiah mentions a stammering tongue three times, the most relevant being the prophecy in 32.4. The heart also of the rash shall understand knowledge, and the tongue of the stam stammerous shall be ready to speak plainly. More broadly, stanzas 5-7 to seven direct the worshiper to heavenly realms. A modern worshiper might not see a golden harp, see Revelations 14.1-3, as a particularly desirable or aspirational reward, but notice the more profound purpose at the conclusion. To sound in God the Father's ears, no other name but thine. Modern congregations miss out, perhaps by typically omitting that decoration. But then news came of his brother's death, and his dearest friend, Marley Unwin, was killed in a fall from his horse. His depression returned, and he attempted suicide once more. He felt that God had predestined him to damnation, and that he was calling him to make a sacrifice of his own life. His affliction lasted 16 months, during which he resided in Newton's house and was taken care of by the devoted Mrs. Unwin. Wanting to keep Cooper's mind occupied, she suggested carpentry, gardening, and taking up his love of writing poetry. Cooper became engaged in these tasks, and he was so amused by a story he heard from a friend that he began to write a poem titled The Diverting History of John Gilpin. 
It is said that the writing of this poem kept him from becoming completely insane. His first volume of poetry was published in 1782, and to this day he is considered among the best of early Romantic poets. Surprisingly, Cooper also had a humorous side to him, as reflected in satire and letter writing. But darkness covered Cooper once more after the death of his beloved nurse and friend, Mary Unwin. It plunged him into such a state that he never fully recovered. Her death brought on the writing of another poem called The Castaway, which was his last. He was seized with dropsy in the spring of 1800 and died. One who saw him after death remarked that with the composure and calmness of his face, there min mingled, as it were, a holy surprise. He is buried in the chapel of St. Thomas Cattenbury, where a stained glass window commemorates his life. In his childhood church of St. Peter's, there are also two windows in memory of him, with an inscription taken from one of his poems. Salvation to the dying man and to the rising God. He left behind all the sorrows and pains of a life filled with emotional and mental pain, and because of a fountain of blood, joined his beloved mother, father, and siblings in heaven. World wars and pandemics, weather changes are reasons to fear. Now, the purpose of our study today is to equip us with reasons not to fear. Even when it seems like the most natural thing to do? Well, looks, let's look at the passage of Scripture, Linda, and keep it in mind as we study. Keep it in the back of your mind. Read Luke twenty-one ninety-nine. It says the following. Read it for me. When you hear of wars and rumors of war, these things must happen first, but end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Now, if you've been paying attention, folks, to the media recently, you will most likely, you've heard of the, uh, in the headlines about a certain disease called Disease X. CI, the Coalition for Economic Economic epidemic preparedness innovates states has on their website that disease X now it's the name given by scientists and the World Health Organization to an unknown pathogen that could emerge in the future that causes a serious international epidemic or pandemic Disease X itself is hypothetical, isn't it? Well, it doesn't exist yet, but the concept of Disease X describes a very real and growing threat to, threat to human health and one the world must prefer better for to respond to. I understand that because of this hypothetical virus, leaders representing people all over the planet are meeting together in hopes of securing some sort of plan of action. Yes, and many people, when they hear this news, the news of the potential future deadly virus, 
it's a cause for major anxiety and in the hearts of some it almost creates a culture of fear are there other things that are causing fear among people yes miss linda the the uh, pandemics and also uh, a survey conducted by the american uh, physiological i call association found that nearly seven of ten americans feared that we were at the beginning stages of world war three so according to this survey seven out of ten americans are getting home from work eating dinner with their families and are tucking their kids in at night all with the overreaching gloom in the background of their mind that a world war could break out at any second yes and it begs the question are we really living our lives the way god intended when we constantly fear in the background of our minds i've noticed in major news sites that they are pointing out that the powers that be are playing to the fears of his citizens well the powers that be understand that nearly 70 percent or so of the people are going about their day-to-day lives holding on to a tremendous amount of fear this kind of atmosphere is where we find ourselves today in a sense it seems some part of human beings seem to have a fascination with being afraid you know this can come from a a, a form of of uh, scary movies games stories haunted houses etc so if even a person does not choose to be afraid by latching on to these things they very well may be persuaded or manipulated into being fearful because of the people and environment around them well if you flip on the news channels or read the the paper chances are you will see double or even triple the amount of frightening news compared to the good news i know i've seen stories about home invasions and disasters or some other horrible event somewhere and i seem to see this more than i see something that restores my hope in humanity Fear seems to be interwoven deeply into the lives of every person alive today. Very seldom do we as a society and world focus on things that are wholesome and good. Yes, and instead we focus on things that are negative and cause people to be fearful. Certainly these fear-enticing topics include World War III, pandemics, and dramatics and changes in our weather and once again i want to bring your attention to the bible would you read it for us where it says uh will you read it linda when you hear of wars and uprisings do not be frightened these things must happen first and the end will not come right away then he said to them that nation will rise again against nation and kingdom against kingdom there will be great earthquakes famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven notice that the bible verse covers wars and pestilences which are pandemics and it covers extreme weather events now and it very much looks like we could be approaching the last days 
According to biblical prophecy, no matter which end of the political spectrum you adhere to, or which news sites you trust to keep you up to date on current events, we all have something in common. We sure do. We all have a desire to to live a safe live in a safe world where we can be free from all senses of danger. However, as a Christian, we must understand that no matter how hard we try, we will not have the ability to live in a world of harmony until the return of Christ. Yeah, we live in a sinful world that's full of darkness and evil. We cannot, we cannot allow that to discourage us, though. No, we are not of the darkness, but of light. Now, even if this is the case, even if the world is approaching its final days, what are we supposed to do? Well, for starters, as Christians, what we should do is is not be doing what we should not be doing is running around in a panic like everyone else. We should be give, getting into and encouraging. Uh, we shouldn't be getting in and encouraging a, 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 a culture of fear, constant fear. The Bible tells us that the only thing we should fear is God. In fact, nothing else is worthy of making us afraid at all. Only God is worthy of our fear. All over the Bible, we see God's encouraging his people to not be afraid and he strengthens them so they overcome their fears. Today is no exception, is it? No, we live in a world where people are obsessed with fear, but we do not have to. Many people seem to waste their lives away, panicking and stressing out about current events that are going on in the world. Well, now, that's not to say that it's not important to keep a close eye on things or even take caution in regards to these events, but to be outright afraid is not a place God wants us to be as Christians. As Christians, we know that God is protecting us, and although the world around us may seem scary, we really have no reason to be afraid. Ultimately, our lives are in God's hand, and he is responsible for protecting us. God loves us and is watching over us. Right. I cannot be harmed unless he allows it. Remember the children of Israel in the land of Egypt, while the world around God's people was shattering into pieces. The children of Israel were completely safe. All the plagues, the disasters, that were right, happening right before their eyes were, had absolutely no effect on them at all. They were surrounded by fearful Egyptians who did not have the protection of God in their lives. The Egyptians, quite honestly, had every reason to be afraid. As God's people, we exist in a spiritual world. Grown if you want to, but when... When things around us in every single direction seem to be falling apart or seem scary, we do not need to fear because our safety is in the Lord God. And he has that ability to rescue us from all danger. We need to but trust him and not being so fearful. There is nothing that can happen 
that is beyond the control of our God. I understand, but this is much easier said than done, especially as we look at the terrifying things that are beginning to happen all around. But we truly do not have to f anything to fear because God is in total control right now. Although God is in control, isn't it wise to use the brain God gave us? Yes, but there's a difference between being responsible and uh, for preparing ourselves for the troubles that come and obsessing in fear. The Bible says in Proverbs 21:31, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Yes, no matter how we how well we plan ahead or prepare for our danger, victory will always be a result of God, not of ourselves. So this means that we should never fearfully stockpile supplies, currency, or weapons, because no matter what, surviving whatever scary event we are planning for will all be thanks to God and is totally in His control. Well, now, pre preparation and looking ahead is good, but letting the fear of the dark day ahead consume us is not. There is a difference between being prepared and being scared. The Bible tells us that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but the power of love and self-control. When we feel afraid of the things going on around us, we should understand that the fear that is setting in is not from God. No, God has given us the ability to control ourselves, even when it seems like we're living a nightmare. With God's power, we can truly overcome all the fear that seems to have overcome most other people we interact with in our lives, even in the midst of a storm. And this means that all the scary things happening around us in the world, we must learn not to focus on these things, but instead turn our eyes upon Jesus. In the 14th chapter of Matthew, there's a famous story of Jesus walking on the water. And there's a great truth from this story that we should take to heart. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray when evening came. He was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land and beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to the disciples walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Just as Jesus is telling the disciples in this situation not to be afraid, we also know that the storms all around us, we do not need to be afraid because Jesus is watching over us. Peter answered Jesus and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus gave Peter an invitation to come, and Peter got out on the boat and walked out on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Yes, and Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, 
Oh, you little faith, why do you doubt? Well, after they had got back into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The Bible tells us that Peter got off the boat and began walking on the water toward Jesus. What's fascinating about this event, however, is that special moment fades away as Peter takes his eyes off Jesus and instead looks at the storm all around him. He loses focus of Jesus and instead is fixated on that violent wind, waves, and the rain. And because he lost focus on Jesus, Peter actually began to sink. We can apply this lesson to the world around us today. When we as Christians take our eyes off the Savior and instead let the storms of life consume us, that is when we begin to sink. When we look to Christ, we do not need to be afraid. A world war may be on the horizon. It may be brewing right now. And a new pandemic that is the worst that we've ever seen in history of mankind could very well break out at any moment. We could experience earthquakes and natural disasters that would make the most fearless men cower and hide. That's true, but at the end of the day, none of these things need to make us fear as God's people. We don't need to be afraid if we are looking to Christ. Yes, and we can avoid sinking in our fears. We have no need to fear because Jesus is watching over us every moment. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Whatever happens, we know that it will work out for good to those who love God. Knowing this fact, how could that change? How could we go through and experience these events around us that make most people drown in their fear and anxiety? If we, as God's people, and we are not to fear, what should we do then? Well, I know this may sound crazy, but what if we embrace these fearful events that are happening around us? What I mean is, what if we, instead of fear, actually real, re, realize this is an opportunity? These events could be used for the kingdom of God. What if God can use these events to draw people to himself. Maybe God wants to use all the terrifying things going on around us in the world specifically to bring people to a point of repentance. People are humbled when they are fearful of their lives. As Christians, we have no reason to fear. And if we are in Christ, no matter what happens around you in this world, you have a reservation in heaven. We have a future home where all these fearful things will not exist. For the time being, we need to use our, the chaos and the fear from events that are happening in the world around us as a tool for preaching the gospel. And let's not be afraid because our hope is in Jesus. We can look at all those fearful faces around us and tell folks how they can have this hope as well. Yes, have you ever met another believer who is in the middle of a spiritual battle, but they don't know that they're in that? 
You mean they are being attacked left and right and center? Their marriage is under attack, and they think it's their friends who are the problem? They're sick in their bodies, but the doctor can't seem to find a cause? Oh, yes. And their money isn't adding up, even though they have automated their savings. Nothing makes sense to them, regardless of what's going on, because there is a lack of knowledge. The first line in Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. A lack of knowledge. I want to tell you two things. The first thing is that what the devil loves, and the second thing is what the devil hates. The devil loves to make you fearful. The lit devil loves to introduce a fear into the life of a believer, and let me tell you why. Fear is the opposite of faith, and the Word of God calls us to live by faith and trust that God is in complete control. That's why we're told to not be anxious about anything. We're told not to worry, not to let our hearts be troubled over and over again. And this is because God wants us to live by faith and trust him in every moment for every need. But the devil wants the complete opposite for you, and he doesn't want us to live by faith, so he induces that fear. And when you begin to live with a spirit of fear in your life, you begin to go against God's word, and you get filled with anxiety. Yes, we are worrying about what we'll eat and drink, and of course, your heart is troubled. This is a damage that the spirit of fear brings. Look at what the Bible calls us to do. The Bible calls us to be courageous. Fear is the opposite of that. The Bible calls us to be bold. Fear is the opposite. The Bible calls us to trust God. <laughs> now, fear is the opposite of that, too, because when you doubt that God can be trusted, you worry about everything. And whatever happens, you're just going to be worried about it. This is why the devil loves to introduce fear into people's lives, isn't it? Yes, however, let me tell you this. There is one thing the devil can't stand. It's a man or woman who rejects the spirit of fear, a person who's not intimidated by what they see, but someone who is governed by the Word of God. Society gives us so many messages today, and we're told how we're going to, supposed to carry ourselves and how we're supposed to speak, and in some cases we're told what to believe. The things of this day and age, it is increasingly difficult to tell the truth from a lie. Yes, and lies are being pre presented as truth, and sadly, truth is being tainted as lies. So we need to guard our hearts and minds because we are bombarded with all kinds of influences, all kinds of temptations. There are all kinds of evil forces that are competing for our attention. They are competing for our attention and looking for an opportunity to enter our lives and receive what they need that we need to guard our hearts and minds and our eyes and our ears. Because these are the gateways to our lives. 
In Matthew 24, 3-4, we see this scene. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. Really think about what's being said there. Watch out that there's no that no one deceives you. That tells us that one of the signs of the coming of Christ is that deception is in the world is really high. So for us, the only way that we can avoid being led astray by false teachings, false doctrines, and imitators of Christ is if we know the Lord for ourselves, develop a personal relationship with God, then no one can deceive the people of God. When you experience the real presence of God, you're quick to notice when something's off about a preacher. You're quick to notice that what kinds of of atmospheres in places. You can notice that things and discern that what spirit is in operation and whether it's the spirit of God or Satan masquerading as an angel of light. So when we know God, when we experience the Lord for ourselves, we are able to discern and able to see as we watch out that no one deceives us. Yes, so listen, I encourage you to search for an experience with God and we need to have it be a real, authentic, personal encounter with God so that we can readily separate a genuine move of God from a counterfeit imitation by the devil. And so I believe that we need the Holy Spirit now more than ever before because it is with the help of the Holy Spirit that we can have discernment and we can be led to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When a demon-possessed man encountered Jesus in Matthew chapter 17, the Bible says in verse 18 that Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed. At that moment, notice the sequence of events. Here, the boy was demon-possessed, Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of the boy. The result is that the demon being cast away. The boy was healed personally. So the demon was the cause of the boy's sickness. Matthew 17, 1-15, The father of this boy said to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has had seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. This demon manifestation was sickness. The sickness of this boy came about as a result of the demon. Hence why Jesus rebuked the demon, the boy was instantly healed. We trust in God's promises for our life. When we're confronted by fear, That is the time you must say, God, I believe that you're bigger than what I see in front of me. You're bigger than the facts in this world. I don't see a way, but I know you can make a way. 
I don't need to have all the answers because I know the one who knows all of the answers. I don't need to know what his plan is because I know the great planner. The God who orchestrates everything. I don't need to know the why. If I know the one, I don't need to know the how because I know him. So hear me today. Believe in God. God will not let you down. Throughout your lifetime, you're going to come across challenges and moments that will test you. And there will be a time when you're tested in the most uh, most of all in seasons whereby you have to decide to hold on to something or hold on to Jesus. So hold on to your friends or family, peers and colleagues. You either have to hold on to Jesus or you hold on to every word a doctor says or an expert says, opinions of man. I can share with you from my experience. I encourage you to choose the Lord. Hold on to Christ. Before you listen to worldly wisdom of those who claim to know it all, stand with Jesus Christ. Then you can truly experience life with victory. So in the midst of everything and in the midst of what you're struggling with, God tells us in his word to believe. Believe in him because his word says that he has plans for you and not to harm you. Plans that give you hope and a future. Fears have no effect on a believer who stands and says, Whatever awaits me in the future, I'm facing it with Jesus. Whatever comes against me, I'll be protected by Jesus because if God is for me, who can be against me? I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can get to the Father except through Jesus. I believe he is the bread of life. He is the one who can sustain us. I believe that Jesus Christ is the prince and the peace. And in him you'll find peace beyond all human understanding. I believe Jesus is the light of the world. He's the good shepherd. I believe he's the healer and the miracle worker. And when he walked on the earth, and he also is now, I believe he is able to still do the impossible today. I believe he died on the cross for our sins, and for my sins, I believe that he rose back to life after three days. And he ascended on high to the, and is seated right now by the Father on his right side. In the name of Jesus, there is power. Jesus Christ is the name of every other 
name. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, and he is the risen one, the almighty one. And so here is my word to you as believers. We should not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should never compromise the word of God so that we can fit it into the world. We should not be ashamed of the gospel because the devil's in this world. The only evil one aggressively spreading a message of deception is the devil in this world. And he is aggressively trying to lead people away from the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. It's time that we as believers of Jesus Christ stand up and declare to the world that there is a Savior, that there is someone who can set you free. If you are bound there in a Redeemer, if, if, if you're bound, there is a Redeemer, and his name is Jesus Christ. Saints, we should not be ashamed of the gospel, but as Christians, we stand up and fight for the gospel. We must rise up as the sons and daughters of the Most High. Isaiah 43, 14 says, For I, the Lord God, hold your right hand, and it is I who say to you, Fear not. I am the one who helps you. This is a promise, a promise for, for those seasons in life when you feel as though you can't get a break. It's a promise that God Almighty will help you. The Lord will come to your aid. He'll be your support. He will be your pillar of strength. Isaiah 40:29 says, he gives power to the faint, and to him who has the might, he increases the strength. This is a promise, a promise for his, for us to hold on to in times of weakness. God will give us strength to the weary. He will help us stand and get through those tough times. He will help you move forward when it looks like you're about to get overwhelmed. Matthew 6, 25 tells us that, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life or what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body. What you'll put on is not life more than food and body more than clothing. Jesus goes on to say in verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is telling us to let go of the illusion that we are the ones in control because we're not in control. God is sovereign. He's always in control. While we don't know the future, God already is in the future. And while we can't let go of the past, God is already working on your present and your future. The devil is the father of fear, 
But God is the master of the future. The devil is the warlock of worry, but Jesus is the prince of peace. The devil is the architect of anxiety, but the Holy Spirit is the bringer of comfort. The Lord tells us in Isaiah, Fear not, for I am with you, and be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. As believers, our lives should not be dictated by fear, but rather by our faith. Our lives should not be crippled by worry, but rather empowered by the Word of God. We must always remember that we are children of the Most High God. We have received the promises of Christ that he will be with us always until the end of time. And so, there is no one who can save us but Christ. And he has already saved us. Stress and anxiety won't have the last word because Christ has already had the last word. Fear will not have that final word because Jesus Christ has defeated fear. My friend, he loves you. He died for me, and like he died for me, he died for you too. There is nothing in your life that you could have ever done to wash away your sins but the mighty blood of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice is totally sufficient. He's done it all. You just have to accept him by faith. Believe in him and what he has done for you. I hope you'll do that. I care about you. I love you in Jesus. If you'd like to talk to me more about this, you can email me, and I'd be delighted to talk to you. My email is Glenn Dawson. Oh, let me, it's got a dot in there. <laughs> Glenn.Dawson, G-L-E-N-N dot D-A-W-S-O-N, at TWC.com. And so you can email me at Glenn at SaxonMusic.com. God has been gracious to allow us this podcast. And we are thankful for this. Even though you did not ask anyone for money, we did not ask anyone for money, we have had help from our audience. Yes, when we play our songs, when they're played on the internet, we receive a, a small streaming royalty of five cents. So let me thank you for every time you listen to our songs, because it adds up. As you listen to our music while you're traveling or working around the house, or whatever you're doing, we trust you enjoy the music and pray it's a spiritual blessing Amen. to you. Remember, you are helping keep our ministry going just by listening. If you don't have a streaming service already to listen to our music for free, just sign in to YouTube audio channel and it's at youtube.com forward slash at we are forgiven. You can listen to our songs there. And you can also check out our videos there, too, if you'd like. If you have Alexa or Echo, just say, Play the music of Glenn Dawson, 
and listen as long as you like for free. If you're not getting our newsletter, go to our website at Glenn, that's G-L-E-N-N, Dawson, ea.com and click on our newsletter well folks that concludes our podcast this week i hope to see you again next week till then remember god bless you we We love love you you all bye Bye for for now. now